0: How do you react when someone asks where you're from? Do you list off the variety of cities that you've lived in before? Or is there just one place that you know as home? Do you brace yourself for the follow-up question? No, like where are you really from? And prepare once again to say, I'm from Des Moines. Author Patrice Gopo writes that the places we have never lived or no longer live can deepen our understanding of ourselves. Our relationship to place, to the many places we might call home, is a complicated one. For some, it is a privilege to know the many places that have formed you. For others, it is a privilege to forget. For us all, though, the yearning to understand who we are and how we came to be, is a deeply human one. Join me today as we meditate on how to lean into that yearning well. Welcome to Kitchen Meditations, a weekly podcast from Edible Theology, where we examine the ways God meets us in the kitchen and at the table. I'm your host, Kendall Vanderslice. If you are hungry for a taste of God's hope and healing in the mundane tasks of your everyday life, then you have come to the right place. May these meditations bring you a bit of grounding as you prepare to eat today and every day. Kitchen Meditations is made possible by a generous community of donors. We here at the Edible Theology Project want to thank all of you for your support of our work. If you haven't given to our fundraiser yet, we would love you to consider joining us in bridging the communion table and the kitchen table with a one-time or monthly tax-deductible donation. To learn more, visit www.edibletheology.com fundraiser. Let's get started with a little spiritual mise en place, a prayer to orient ourselves before we begin. In the professional kitchen, mise en place is the process of preparing your workspace for the dishes you're about to make. It involves measuring your ingredients and reading your recipe all the way through so that you can let the sense transport you back to the place that you have called home. I like to think of it as a time to prepare my own mind and body as well asking God to be present with me as I cook or as I bake. Our spiritual mise en place today is drawn from the book of Hebrews. Slow your breathing, and now as you breathe, repeat with me. Inhale. God is preparing a city. And as you exhale, a heavenly place to call home. Today, we have the delight of meeting Patrice Gopo, author of the recently released children's book, All the Places We Call Home, as well as a collection of essays called All the Colors We Will See. Patrice is a vivid storyteller who uses her words to explore topics of race, immigration, and belonging. Her joy is infectious, and her compassion ever-present. I hope you enjoy listening in. Thank you so much for being with me here today, Patrice. I really am so excited to have you.
1: Oh my goodness, thank you. This is so fun and I just admire your work and what you do. So it is delightful to be here. What does home taste like for you? I love this question because... I feel as though that is something I bring so much to my work is like the taste of things, the taste of foods that I would have experienced in my childhood home. I am the child of Jamaican immigrants and I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. And I feel as though the idea of food features so much in my particular story because I feel as though my parents were in this far off place that was distant from the place where they grew up and they were trying to figure out ways to recreate foods that mattered to them within the context of our home. And there's so many stories of people traveling, like traveling to New York city where you could find Jamaican stores, grocery stores and packing those in Brown boxes and shipping it back on the airplane. And we would, you know, you're, we would meet my grandmother at the luggage carousel in Anchorage and she would have this box of this cardboard box of these foods that were just really hard to find in Anchorage at that time. And we would take that home. And I just have these memories of, people opening the box and taking the items out and putting it, stacking it on the counter and how those items would then go into the meals that my mother and grandmother would often prepare. So anyways, all that to say, <laughs> when I think about you know what does home taste like for me, on one hand, it very much tastes like these foods from my childhood, even if I myself do not necessarily cook them a lot these days or that often or even taste them that frequently, I can so quickly have that feeling of comfort when I smell that aroma. When I walk into even a Jamaican grocery store, there's just a the familiarity that you can smell things that are familiar to my story. so I think that is one thing I would say in a very concrete kind of way, but I think if we think more broadly about what does home tastes like to me. I feel it's like the taste of comfort and safety and compassion and love. And that's just being with people that you care about and people who care about you. I don't necessarily cook all of these foods as often, but I, when my family and I gather around our table, I have that deep sense of home that is there as well. I think there's something in the act of gathering and then it just reminds me of the ways my own fam- my family of origin would have gathered as well when I was a child. So I think that for me also is another way I think of what tastes like home.
0: I love how in this note at the beginning of your book, you say that the places we've never lived or no longer Mm -hmm. live can deepen our understanding of ourselves. And I feel like that's at play even in the fact that your first thought of what tastes like home is the foods that you got
1: from the Jamaican grocery store, even though, did you yourself live in Jamaica? No, I didn't actually. I didn't live in Jamaica. My parents are from Jamaica. And so, yeah, that is definitely being connected to a place that I've no longer lived. And, And you know, Kendall, I should just say, I also feel a very similar feeling when there are very particular foods I would have grown up eating in Alaska that are particular to my experience in Alaska as well. So my father used to go salmon fishing every summer and a deep memory I have is him, you know, catching these fish and we would store it in the basement freezer. And so oftentimes whenever I taste salmon, it will take me back to those memories that feel very comforting and remind me, yeah, this is, this is part of the story of me and part of how I find place in the world as well.
0: One of the reasons I love studying food and especially kind of the stories that foods tell Mm -hmm. is because they do tell these stories of movement, both the stories of like, People that move from one place to another and carry yes. the flavors where they've come from to someplace new yes. or of a single place where multiple people have moved and right. kind of these these flavors and, and pe- techniques have merged. And so I love that kind of on a larger scale, we can study food and the global movements that mm-hmm. have contributed to the foods we eat. But also I think on a personal familial level that like mm-hmm. it's this merging of both like salmon and the Jamaican grocery store ingredients yes. that to you are this you know, the story of you and the story of
1: home and home being built out of kind of
0: the places that you have lived and the places you haven't lived, but have yes. still shaped you. and Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think that is absolutely the case. And I, I mean, I just think about my Jamaican family. And then in Jamaica, the there was also an influence from India as well that was in Jamaica. And both of my parents, their fathers were Indian as well. And so this is a place they never lived either. And yet it's heavily influencing the type of food they're preparing and that they're used to eating. And then they bring this with them to Alaska, you know, and so there's just this medley of things that are happening. I was just thinking as you were talking, one interesting kind of creation, I would say, not creation, but something that we would eat is there is a food called ackee and saltfish in Jamaica. And it is the national dish. Ackee is, it's a type of fruit that grows on a tree. It's, you open the pods and there's these yellow, or open the fruit, these yellow pods and you cook them. And it's often served with salted cod. So saltfish is what it's served with. But My mom would often use smoked salmon in that dish in Alaska and just because of what was there and kind of making it our own unique family story.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. It's a perfect example of kind of how these movements inform the Mm. foods that we eat.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They're very much connected to place and Um, tell stories, exactly like you say, of these places. So
0: your book is, you know, the story of a child dreaming of the places that have shaped her. Can you share a bit more of how the idea for this book
1: came came to fruition? Absolutely. Okay, so all the places we call home, yes, it's the story of this little girl who every night she spins her globe. And as she spins her globe, she touches these places that are important to her. And then her mother tells her stories of her connections to these places. So there's several, I would say there's several kind of starting places for this. The first would be that this story is very much rooted in the experience of my own family. So it is the little girl in the story. I created this character based on my own children and, you know, woven our own experiences. And part of it was that I feel very strongly in the telling of our story. I feel like it opens doors for others to recognize their own stories, too, that it kind of creates these pathways. Um, so. This story, though, it actually is based on an essay in my first book. So my first book is an essay collection, All the Colors We Will See. And it is based on an essay in that book. And the essay in that book, in it, I am putting my oldest daughter down for a nap on her great-grandmother's bed in rural Zimbabwe. My husband is from Zimbabwe, so I'm putting her down for a nap on her great-grandmother's bed. And I remember a nap that I took many years ago as a small child on my grandmother's bed in rural Jamaica. And so this essay is kind of weaving in between these two memories and this idea of what, what, who am I, I guess, and how is who am I impacting who this child is too, and these kind of shared experiences. So it's relating in and out like that. And I remember after that, book published a couple years ago, I was sitting with a friend who also writes children's books, and I had thought, you know, I think this essay could potentially be a springboard for a children's story as well. And so that was the beginning of how I started even working on the project. It's such a
0: beautiful book and the way that the stories are woven together. I mean, I've read it through multiple
1: times and I don't even have a child to read oh, it to. I love, <laughs> I, read it too. I love that because you know what I believe? I believe picture books create beautiful pathways in for us to connect, to think about our own stories, all of these things. My hope for this story is that children open this book and certainly see this little girl in this story. And, and however that is, whether that's a window or a mirror for that child. But at the same time, my hope would be that in the aftermath of reading the story, children would become interested and excited about recognizing the beauty of their own stories as well.
0: What do you think is the harm of forgetting our connection to a place or of just overlooking the stories of
1: where we've come from? This is a really interesting question because I feel as though, in some ways, to know your connections to different places actually can be quite a privilege in life that not everyone has, right? And so I I feel like it's important for me and for all of us to just maybe, you know, just acknowledge that as I'm saying that, that that is true. And yet at the same time, I do also feel as though sometimes with the ability to connect with places and to know places that we can sometimes almost cast that away when that happens i do feel as though we can lose aspects of ourselves like lose aspects of maybe the power of the narrative that extends within our family or something of that nature i think can be very true that that can happen but you know kendall i will say I think even in the absence of those kinds of cuz there's lots of reasons that maybe people can't necessarily connect to stories or aspects of stories can get lost or however that may be I just still feel as though there is something within us that I think continues to hold on to those things even if we don't always know it that that there's something within us that you know if if you come from a place of your family line, whether you realize it or not, has this deep resilience or something. I, I feel as though that's still going to be part of your story. And so I guess I just want to encourage people on both sides. And I think it's beautiful. Let us know and learn these stories and celebrate them. But at the same time, if we don't know them or if things have, you know, fallen away to recognize that there's also still that part within us
0: mm-hmm. like something that just
1: yearns for that connection even I if think we don't so. know it. I yeah so yeah it could possibly look differently for different people but I guess I just want to make some space for that idea and that possibility because like I said I do think even as I have talked about this story and shared this story it has really struck me the privilege that one has to be even able to know some of these pieces of the Mm -hmm. story. And I think also I reflect on the reality that there are so many pieces of my family's story that I don't know and that have been lost for many, like due to injustice and, Mm -hmm. you know, all these kinds of things that we know exist in the world that take away people's ability to connect with place and story and all of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's almost, I see it as kind of a, there is in some ways, a privilege of being able to ignore your connection to place mm. in the story where you come from,
1: mm. and
0: also a privilege in being able to know. Um, mm. you know. I think Michael Twitty is a culinary historian who writes a lot about African-American foodways, ways, um, and he has written a lot about how you know, the ability to trace back your lineage is a huge privilege, yeah. because for so many African-Americans in the United States mm-hmm. you know that that names have been taken away our family mm-hmm. lines have been purposely cut off so that you can't mm-hmm. trace backwards mm-hmm. but then i also think of you know, in my own family and and a lot of folks who've lived in, grown up in sort of suburban America, the suburban dream is almost to feel disconnected from place. Oh, yeah, you know, like right. that, like a, a suburb can be replicated anywhere right. and you aren't tied to the land and what grows on that land. And, right, um, right. Like it was a privilege to be able to, you know, reach a point where your family livelihood was no longer connected to the land mm-hmm. and you could live mm-hmm. anywhere. And so almost... Both of these stories of connection yeah. to place and family yeah. and and not knowing them. Mm-hmm. One is born out of privilege and one is born out of oppression. And there are ramifications from that. You know, I, I think for those maybe who that line has been cut off because of oppression, there's this yearning to know mm-hmm. and this like grief over that loss. But I think in my, in my own experience too, I think people who – maybe generations past, it was a privilege to be able to be disconnected. Yeah. Now, I think a couple generations later, I know I feel that like, wait, I want
1: to know these stories and these yeah. histories yeah. of place. How we find ourselves in the space, I guess, is what I want to say. And, that, and I appreciate just that even the way you even identified how different people may experience this particular question or idea i think what would is really neat is when people take a pause and think about how how am i interacting with this idea and why might i be interacting with this idea in this particular way and is there maybe an invitation to think about it differently or to continue forth with what i'm already doing or whatever that might look like so i think acknowledging all the things you shared that feels very important as well, too. And, and you know, I will say, too, related to this story, all the places we call home in the story, the little girl, she they through memories, they travel to these different countries. I love that celebration that happens here. I, I love this idea of how this story potentially expands some of the narratives we might have around certain people groups and different things like that. But at the same time, I think there's also this part of me that hopes that people don't necessarily get fully caught up in the presence of countries, that everything must be a country, that we're in search of which, which countries. Because I think there are a lot of ways in which we can think about the idea of home. And it's not always a particular you know country that we need to go connect to, that there's other places and stories and people that are part of our stories that, you know, they may live in the same town that we live in. They may, you know, there's just other other people and places that contribute to who we are, who a child is that are part of the vastness of their story that I think it's just important that we think about ways to celebrate that, to identify those and celebrate that.
0: It kind of comes back to your answer to the question of what does home taste like, that you have mm-hmm. both the flavors of particular places, but mm. then also just the feeling of what brings me comfort, this gathering with other yeah, people. That is this absolutely. community, but a community that can be grounded in particular flavors, but also right. doesn't have to be that there's right. kind of both right. in together. Do you have any rhythms or rituals around food or eating that your family shares? I feel
1: like my family of origin had some significant rhythms (laughs) around food and eating. My mother, she made the same Jamaican meal every Sunday. So I always knew what was for dinner Saturdays and Sundays. In Jamaica, there's a chicken called brown stew chicken. So it was kind of her version of that. So it's a baked chicken that's in this kind of rich brown gravy. And then she would have rice and peas, which it's rice cooked with coconut milk and the peas are actually red kidney beans. So that's just the heads up on that. So, So that would be the basic meal. And then there would be a vegetable and a salad probably with it. So this was every Sunday. And one thing that I just always really admire about her is that she would often just fill the table on Sundays. Not always. We didn't always have a guest, but she would readily just invite people to that meal because it was a built-in meal that was happening. And, you know, people could come in and a variety of people came over the years. And as an adult, I don't necessarily find those as much in how my life functions. And, you know, it's been an interesting journey for me because I think at different points in my life, I've kind of felt a sense of guilt for not replicating what I know, and I, I think over time I've just recognized this idea that we we take from our stories of where we come from, but we also create new things too and I, I think that's something that maybe every person figures out the balance for because I do think you know you could err so f- far that well I'm just going to only create new things and never <laughs> never. St- and lose all these connections but at the same time i think there can be this idea that we can hold so tightly to a particular way or experience of of doing something or eating foods or gathering or whatever that we don't make space for how it might look within a new you know new generation or something like that so anyways all that said i think one of the things i i long for is not necessarily every day, but multiple times a week that we gather around the table is something that we do. So I really appreciate that. But honestly, something else that I just think has become fun as well too is that we just sometimes don't like we'll you know <laughs> eat outside and just whatever or Friday nights is simple movies and in fr- you know stuff like that that I think for me remind me that food has a way of creating memories and those memories can show up in all sorts of different ways. And I think for me, I would just so much rather it feel like an organic thing that versus that I am just trying to... I don't know, check boxes or something. So, mm-hmm. so I think that's something that we do. I think something else that I like to do is I just like to sometimes just have fun, you know, ice cream for dinner type thing <laughs> or whatever. And and you know, what's really interesting about that is I think my children find it fun, but then they actually want to eat not just ice cream <laughs> afterwards. So that's so kind of we flip it on, you know, so I think those are just some fun things that we do.
0: Do you find with your kids, do you have a desire to share with them some of the foods that were meaningful to you growing up? Either foods from Alaska or from Jamaica or for your husband, Zimbabwean foods? Or is it kind of for them? Do you want to introduce them to those and work them into your regular rotation? Do they Mm -hmm. have an interest in kind of knowing about the places you
1: guys that have shaped their parents? The way I would say it is, yes, they do. We do. These foods do show up. They don't necessarily show up all the time. It's not It's not in the way that when I was growing up, every Sunday we had the same Jamaican meal. And then usually once a week we'd have this other, you know, there were certain days when certain things would show up. and I. And so that is very familiar to my experience. So that is not what happens in my own household. But at the same time, there are certain things that happen. So usually around Thanksgiving or Christmas, my husband will typically make a stew that he would have, you know, eaten in Zimbabwe and we'll also have that with sadza, which is I guess the best way to explain is like it's like a cornmeal thing that you so yeah, so we'll have it with sadza and which is very, you know, typical of a meal that he would have eaten. So he will do that every now and again, but it's not necessarily like this consistent we eat it all the time thing. But at the same time, I think my children have become like they look forward to it happening, And I think that just really delights me that that happens. I think another thing that has been super fun, too, is that um, occasionally, yes, we'll have Jamaican food within our own home. But when my girls connect with my parents, they will often have something, especially with my mother. My parents are divorced. When my girls connect with my mother, they'll often have something that is Jamaican there, too, which I think is very special to feel as though you kind of have a familiarity of what you will experience when you enter this place where you know that you are dearly loved.
0: My family moved around a lot growing up as well, but my grandmother is lived most of her life in Texas. Okay. Um, and so there were particular things that were like, the, you know, I think my whole family viewed ourselves as Texans, but it was really mm-hmm. when we visited her that we had like, the foods of Texas. Yes. It's like right. connected to that place. And it's not that we didn't want them at other points, but it was almost like their specialness came from the fact that they were connected to this person yes, on yes. this visit.
1: I do think that's a really interesting idea of how, what what are the, the experiences that might be connected to a place beyond just being in that physical location and how that actually creates kind of a robustness to how we even see a place and experience it. When we go back to Alaska, there's just particular things that we do in Alaska, you know, that we'll eat in Alaska that we do not always, but just because we're there and it's easier to access this there, you know, certain seafoods and stuff there that we'll eat it then that I don't necessarily have it in our lives all the time.
0: Yeah, it's, it's almost like it, it becomes, its goodness is almost out of the fact that it is tied to a place rather right, than something yeah. you have all the time. If you had to give one either kitchen tip or hospitality tip or just kitchen gadget that you think mm-hmm. everybody
1: needs to know, what would it be? Oh, a kitchen gadget. I hadn't thought about that. What, <laughs> but I guess, you know, I will say maybe in a more abstract way. Yeah my kitchen tip or hospitality tip would truly just be kindness, like being kind to ourselves, being, being kind to others, whatever that may be, because I, I think sometimes we can easily feel pressured that something must look this way or I must post in this fashion or whatever that may be. And I think there's just a lot of, a lot of space for multiple ways of thinking, doing all of this kind of thing. And I think, being kind to ourselves, but also just even being kind to people who may not agree with us that (laughs) there there is so much space Mm -hmm. for what might be possible. So, and I mean, even in that sense, I feel like kindness to ourselves can give us courage to try new things and, uh, you know, invite someone over or try a different recipe or whatever that might be.
0: Yeah. I love that. The kindness to ourselves. I feel like so many people get caught up on like, and I'm going to have someone over. I want things to be perfect. And if it's not perfect or it's too much pressure to make things perfect so they just don't have people over.
1: Yeah. And it's like just
0: being together is what we all need and kind of those imperfections make everyone feel more comfortable yeah, and at home.
1: I think, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think sometimes, you know, we did we may have done something one way in the past. I I'm just even particularly thinking years ago I used to organize I used to organize these tea parties. I mean, Kendall, these were all out tea parties where <laughs> I, love I had, you know, the whatever the cups and saucers and all of that and I would make like scones and I would make different cakes and I would have savory things and it was just this big production which was really lovely and I would often invite women in my neighborhood over for this thing and we would have it and I would have it twice a year so there would be a fall one and a spring one and at some point I just quit because I did not have the time to do it. I didn't have the bandwidth, but I did enjoy them. And I remembered a couple years after that, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this again, but I can't do a tea. I'm going to just make soup. I'm going to buy a loaf of bread and we will just do that. And, and it was just as lovely too. And it was different. It wasn't the same as what it had been, but it was still lovely. For folks who would like to find more of your work, where, where can they find you? You can go to my website is patricegopo.com and there you can subscribe to my newsletter if you'd like to. My essay collection is called All the Colors We Will See. And then the picture book is called All the Places We Call Home.
0: Thank you so much for being here with me today. I have loved this conversation.
1: Oh, thank you, Kendall. This was super fun. I feel like you had me thinking about things that I just don't necessarily think about all the time. And it was delightful because these are things that I think it matters that we we consider in our lives. So thank yeah. you so much yeah. for just even creating the space. Absolutely. It is my pleasure, truly.
0: When I lived in Boston, everyone would joke that the first question you ask upon meeting someone new is, where are you from? Every city has its quirky first question. In St. Louis, it's, where'd you go to high school? In many places, it's, what do you do? But in Boston, the question was always, where are you from? The assumption being that no one was actually from Boston itself. The answer to this question is complicated for many of us. Maybe you have many places you call home. Some where you never lived and some where you no longer live. Maybe, in your experience, the question suggests that you don't belong in the place you now live. I love Patrice's compassion in recognizing the complexity of this question. That the answer might not be found in a particular city or country, but in the communities and the flavors that have nourished us and shaped our experience in this world. Inhale. God is preparing a city. Exhale, a heavenly place to call home. And now to close, a prayer for the places that have shaped you. O God who made a vast world and filled it with diverse people, we know you through the many places that reflect your creativity. We see your beauty in the mountains and the coast and in the flowers that spring up in arid deserts. We feel your love and the hospitality expressed in different ways around the world. Whether we have the grounding of one place to call home, or the joy of many places that have shaped our sense of self, you are the same God who welcomes us and promises us that in you we find our rest. Amen. Kitchen Meditations is brought to you by The Edible Theology Project, where the communion table meets the dinner table. We encourage you to discuss this episode around the table with your spouse, small group, or friends. Need some help getting to that rhythm? Sign up for our weekly newsletter at edibletheology.com and you'll get discussion questions and a recipe delivered straight to your inbox every week. Our intro music is by Josh Garrel's. A huge thank you to the Edible Theology team, especially our producer, Jason Rugg, who made this podcast possible. We would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or Spotify, then share this episode with your friends. Your help ensures that others discover this podcast too.